Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Optive Podcast, a podcast where John Sekatowski, Nick Gibson, and me, Andy Schmidt, will be discussing some of the hard theological and cultural topics in the Bible, bringing three different perspectives from three different generations. I hope you enjoy. And today we got a guest, Jill Risa, right? That's how you say the Hi. last name. Joe uh, Reese. You say Reese. Reese. But we don't Reese. need Not to Reese. go into that. What, what, what are you going to do? What are you gonna do? I get everybody's names wrong <laughs> yeah. every time. So, yeah. We're going to be talking about um, gender. Oh, yeah. 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 It was Nicole Kale last time. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm not good at that part. Uh, we're you, gonna be, you could ask beforehand before we go live. Totally, totally. That's the recording. true. Well, that would make sense. <laughs> in my head, I ha- I have like what I think it is, and I yeah. I don't like you know I'm not usually wrong. Um, in, in Andrew's defense, Kyle K H A I L being Kyle right. and Reese R E A S A. Yep. Yeah. Is, so is that not one obvious doesn't right. No, make they, sense. they are not obvious. That's true. Yeah. That's Thank true. you. That's true. Thank you, Nick. I, you know what? <laughs> Let's yeah. just end it there. Um, Okay, so we're going to be talking about gender roles today. Very, very controversial topic. I guess for some reason in this day and age in America, this is controversial to talk about if somebody's a man or a woman or whatever and a sexual orientation, all that's very controversial. I don't fully understand why it is. So, I think, yeah, I think to clarify, we're going to have a predominantly non-queer discussion about gender. So like, yes. there is such a thing as maleness and femaleness. In predominant distributions, and even people who identify as gender dysphoric or transgender do so because they believe that there is such a thing as maleness and femaleness and masculinity and femininity, and they identify with the one they are not biologically embodied in. So there's only there's only a small portion of people who don't think gender is an embodied thing related to sex and that that matters. So it, yeah. There's a lot of press for it, but like even most trans people believe that maleness and femaleness is a real right. thing, and that's one of the reasons you why think they you feel think that so that's true. Upset, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. So if people are non-gender binary, they're just like, well, I'm. I think I'm, there's more of that now. In my my gender. There is, yeah, there is, but like for some people, it's not. For some people, it's just, it, it like it's a lot more. There's some people who, so even among people who are non-gender binary, like there's actually a guy who goes to church here who would identify as non-gender binary, and he would say. I'm not saying I don't like gender. What I'm saying is there are some seasons of my life I literally feel pretty well embodied in the masculine gender. And then there's other times where I feel very strongly like I, f- I want to be a woman and I feel very feminine. He's like, it, and it kind of goes in cycles and it's actually related to things that happen in my life, I think, and I don't fully understand it. There are other people who ideologically believe gender is a construct and they reject that notion, and therefore there's no such thing as maleness and femaleness other than what we've just created, mm-hmm. and therefore they reject the idea of gender. So even even with non-binary people, there's different kinds. And so I think Christians have Christians have always held the notion that gender and sex matter and are non-arbitrary and are not merely constructs. Obviously, everything that we handle as humans, there's some constructness on yeah, it. Right. But whether or not it's primarily that or that's what it came from, because when people say it's just a construct, what they're essentially saying is people created that to control other people. That's kind of the subtext of that. That's different than saying there's something that exists in creation and in reality, and we've had to try to how, figure out how to fiddle with it, like how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And the dealing with it is a is a constructive thing and right. therefore a construct, right? right. So, anyway. so yeah, yeah wait, so the place where the place we're starting okay. is we're starting at the point assuming gender exists, that it exists as maleness and femaleness, and yeah. that's that's the baseline where we're beginning this discussion. There's mm-hmm. a different discussion to be had. To argue about okay, how do we get to the point that we are we know 
that maleness and femaleness do exist, but that's not the conversation that we're having. Yeah, we're going to be, yeah, right. And the roles in which they have in marriage and in the church and whatnot. But let's back up real quick because I forgot to, to ask. Jill, what do you do for the people who don't know you and like, why, like mm. what do you do and who are you? You know, because I think sometimes I just... Because yeah. you're a guest on the pod. You're, you're, you're a guest. Um, so for the purposes of this conversation, I'll frame it in that way um, in gender. I... Am uh, I work for the High Point Church? Um, so I work for a church as a woman, and I'm a mother and a wife. I have two kids who are young. Uh, Micah's two and a half, and Jovi's four months. And then I, I'm a complementarian, even though I'm in leadership. Can you define in the that? Church. Can you define complementarian? <laughs> um, as part of your bio. so that's different than traditional. <laughs> yeah, <sorry. laughs> yeah, I Nick, Nick, you can chip in on on this part too, but um. So when complementarian, when you hear complementarian, I think often people think of a traditional sense of men and women's roles in the home and in society, um, like women making casseroles at dinner and things like that. But um, complementarian is the biblical roles in the Bible of what women and men are supposed to be doing in God's household and in the, the institution of the family. And so... Um, that can look a lot of different ways. There's only a few specifics laid out in the Bible. But um, yeah, it can look a lot of different ways. For example, my husband does the grocery shopping and we've decided on that and I don't do that. But sometimes I cook and sometimes he cooks and there's things I do that he doesn't do. And yeah, so. I think also I for the purposes say. of this podcast, we should specify that um, in Jill's undergrad, she did a lot of research studying of Hebrew. She did like a, I don't, you didn't do a full minor, but you did a bunch of classes. So she, she has actually more like classes in Hebrew Bible than most semin- people who've graduated from seminary mm-hmm. and understands some of the dynamics in that. She's also my research assistant, has to read a lot of theology and do a lot of research. She tells me when I've overlooked things sometimes and when I have something wrong before it goes public. So she, she is, she's one of these people that she's behind the scenes in her role but she is of sufficient intellect and experience and thoughtfulness for yeah. people to listen to. And here's to. the thing. Nick and I have talked about this a number of times. I, I'm a woman, but I wish, and I'm a complementarian, but I wish like my ideal role or uh, my ideal career is probably a pastor. But okay. I also fully believe that I can't be a pastor. So that's complicated. In, in a number of contexts, at least. So that like brings, so I, so when we first talked about doing this gender, gender roles one, I went into the Bible, right? Because that's, that's where we get our information. And I went back to Genesis and went and just was like, I'm just going to go back to where, where I f- first see God talking about man and woman. Um, and in Genesis 2, uh, or in Genesis 3, God j- talks about the desire for, for uh, women to rule over men within marriage. And one of my questions, because what you just said, you, you want to be a pastor, Mm-hmm. We we can get into that later. I don't. I used to be like hardcore and like women can't be pastors, but I think my viewpoint on that has switched. But has somewhat switched, and I'll explain that later because John just this gave is, me this a is look. News to me that John just gave <laughs> me a little bit of a look. It has somewhat switched, but I'll talk about that later. But basically, yeah. When, let's start with the family. Is that where you're going? Yeah, with the family. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. like when, um, when, when God says that women will desire to rule over their husbands. Is that just within marriage or is that in society as well? Because what I've seen in society is that women have desired to just rule over men in general. 
and and it's become stronger and stronger and stronger, especially in my generation. That was the first question that's popped into my head. Yeah. Or is that just is that just merit? Like, well, okay. So before people just get pissed off and turn off the podcast, I think we should also <laughs> recognize that the question could be asked: Do you think it's in generally within the minds of men to rule over women? And I I think that yeah. the answer is yes for that too. I so I, I think I think what, yeah right right right. If you take yeah, Genesis, yeah. so Genesis three can be take, taken two ways. It can be taken as a single negative or a double negative. Right, so let's re- let's uh, see if we can find the verse and read it. So it says in chapter three, verse sixteen, to the woman he said, "This is God cursing the man and the woman." This is a section on the woman. He says, "I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you." Okay, so to clarify, in Genesis one and two, God has told the human beings they're going to take dominion over the world and they're going to fill it. So the two things humans do is they make babies more humans, and then those humans grow up and engage in the process of taking dominion over God's physical creation. So what God has said now is, because they've sinned, the very thing they were made to do is going to be more difficult. The woman is now going to have pain in childbearing. It's not going to be easy. And there's going to be a dominion problem between the man and the woman. So instead of the man and the woman complementing each other and taking dominion together, now the process of trying to take dominion in a way you shouldn't has now entered into the male-female relationship and tarnished it permanently. Does that make sense? Now, there's there's two ways you can take the, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. There's technically three ways you can take that. One is, you can take it the way that English sounds, which is, the wife will want her husband and he will be her ruler. That is, her, she will want to submit to him and he will want to guide and rule the family mm-hmm. and that will work and that's going to be the way, way it works now. Now, a lot of egalitarians historically have believed that. People who believe there's no distinction between gender roles because what they would say is that started at the fall. At the fall, there was this idea where women were like, well, I should just submit to him. And he, the guy was like, well, I should just control things. But before that, that wasn't the case. They were full equals. They were interchangeable in their roles and so on. I don't think that's the right way to take it. Oh. The second way to take it mm-hmm. is the second way to take it is that the, the, your desire will be for your husband is a negative. That is, your desire will be to control your husband or to attack your husband or to... to um, to do something negative. People are like, well, why would it mean that? Well, in the very next chapter, in chapter four, when Cain is struggling with the sin of resenting his brother, which is leading, going to lead him to murder his brother, God comes to Cain and says, sin desires to have you. It's literally the exact same words in Hebrew. Desires, you, desires to have you, but you will rule over it. That is, sin wants to take control of you, but you must turn and exert control over it. Mm. Right? And so th- they're exactly parallel in Hebrew. And so the question, so the idea is it, in that context, clearly sin is in the negative. Sin wants to control Cain, but he has to resist it. So it's a negative taking of control. So one of the ways to take it is the woman will negatively try to take control in the way she shouldn't. In what ways shouldn't, in what ways shouldn't a woman try to take control? Okay, that's, and, hold on, let's get the theology yeah, yeah, straight yeah, okay, first okay, before okay, we get okay, the yeah. straight. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. So that assumes that in Genesis 1 and 2, there was a proper distinction between the man and the woman, and the man was supposed to have a leadership role. And the woman was supposed to be his helper. That is the help with which out with she can't succeed. Yeah. Right. And that was supposed to function in a, in a complementary harmony. Now the woman is going to be insubordinate in that. And the man is going to rule over her. That is, he still has his position of authority, but now it's going to be difficult because now their relationship, there's a prop because she's going to be constantly fighting for control because everybody wants control. He's supposed to have control and she wants to take control. That's also possibly not the way to take it. Okay. I think I think, the thir- let me just do the third and then we can yeah. debate which one. The Go third ahead. way to take it is that both references are negative. That the w- reference to the wife and the husband are both negative. Now remember, this oh. is a curse, right? It's a curse. Something mm-hmm. like some, at least one bad thing is going to happen. 
right? Uh, so the woman, her desires for her husband, so she's going to undermine his authority and then he's going to rule over her. That is not take good dominion, but he's going to crush her down with his strength. So there are feminine ways to try to take control of something and there are masculine ways. Men tend to go towards brutality and using their strength to push down the opposition and take control. Mm-hmm. The women have other ways. They can nag and fight and backbite and manipulate and withhold sex. It's all kinds of things women can do to try to wrest control away from their husband. And so the third way to take it is to see it as the two coming out of harmony with each other and actually fighting against each other in engendered ways. But instead of co- complementing each other, they're now doing the opposite. of They're insulting mm-hmm. each other in their behavior and moving apart from each other. I personally believe that is the proper interpretation. Mm-hmm. Though all three are mm-hmm. possible. Um, this The first is the least likely. The second is more likely. And I think the third is the most likely. Okay. I think that's really important because, uh, especially for women, before all you ladies stop listening right now, um, <laughs> I want to encourage you that this, it really feels like this discussion is about what we can and can't do. Yeah. And... Often the discussion starts with the curse, like we're just starting right now. But I think it's most important to back up even further and look at how God has made men and women because there's purpose in that and it's really good. And it makes the roles seem less like just arbitrary rules for each gender and more about um, they, they're coming out of who we were created to be and out of our identity. And so... I think it's helpful to back up even further than the curse. Mm-hmm. Which you is like where to we the beginning. Kind of started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. Back to the beginning, right? Cuz in Genesis 1, cuz in, in a lot of ways like there aren't any roles laid out in any of these passages. So in chapter 1 you have both male and female made in God's image and they're supposed to multiply that is have children together and they're supposed yeah. to fill the earth and they're supposed to subdue it together. There's no differentiation at all about between both men and women. Of them right. At the same time. Right, they're both to have children and they're both to take dominion. Right. And then in chapter two, you have this full complementarity where the man and woman, the woman is created for the man Mm -hmm. and the man is like goes through this process of being equipped for what he has to do. And then the woman is brought in. But even though there's a differentiation sort of structurally roles wise in the chapter, there's no distinction of roles explicitly stated. Mm -hmm. Right. The man's going to do this and the woman's going to do this. And then the, the woman's role comes out of a absolute need with the man like they, there's this whole section about like there's where god takes the man yeah. through the process of naming animals so he's taking right. dominion by naming all the animals yeah. but he's also being mm-hmm. like well which one of these can actually help me and the answer is none of them yeah right there's no suitable helper that is there's no helper that if he took the help of that creature he would then be able to succeed in the work he's going to do one of those is procreation right he's got to have mm-hmm. pro- procreation like people joke about that it's the only thing you need another person for literally you literally need another person for that. You can't do it by yourself. Even a woman can't do it And you literally need a man uh, or a woman, excuse me, you literally yeah. need a woman to have the babies. Right. So yeah. there's that, but then there's also all these other things the man can't do without. In fact, the, in fact, the, the word is not like infertile or something. The word is that the man shouldn't be alone. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a, there's a complementary mm-hmm. of relationship and it's, mm-hmm. and it's not treated cynically. Like when the woman exists, there's this like emotional eruption of the man where he now sings a song. So if you take Genesis one to be God singing a song oh, yeah. to create creation. Now the man oh, in chapter two sings a song in receiving his wife as this, as the, the greatest of God's creation for him and how mm-hmm. he's so excited about her and everything. So that's one of the reasons why it's such a tragedy when you get to chapter three, right. because 
God is, has made them equals. Mm-hmm. He's given them a calling together. He has structured their relationship in chapter two, but he's structured it such that the man cannot succeed without the woman. So they're bound to each other in necessity and in love. Mm-hmm. So then when you get to three and you get this curse, it's like this huge, it's this huge letdown because yeah. you're like, wait, these two that were going to be perfect for each other are now going to fight each other. And yet they mm-hmm. still have to create, bring dominion into the earth while they're fighting each other. This is going to suck, mm-hmm. which is kind of what's happening. And that's, and that's where the complementary view comes out of is that the genders were created to be complementary and to work in union with one another in peace. And the, the tragedy of the curse is that there's a war now forever <laughs> that we'll have to fight um, of a tension between the genders. And so that's why, yeah. that's why it feels so terrible to each side. Our roles feel terrible because of that, mm-hmm. unless we're submitting um, to Christ and to God's original intent for each gender. Right. And even in like patriarchal societies in the bad sense, right, where men are are making things be done for their good rather than them leading, right? So the, in the negative sense of patriarchy, then in those contexts still, men don't still don't like those lives. They're, it's like, it's not like they're like, this is fantastic. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're taking the best thing for themselves but they're still not experiencing what Adam and Eve experienced mm-hmm. when the man and woman were in union with each other and working together. Mm-hmm. And so there's still, even when men control things, they, they've still lost everything. And so it's, but I, I remember when Lexi, my wife was in seminary and she was doing her work on this, her argument, her, she wrote a paper on this issue and her argument, it was, uh, it, it all depends on how you take Genesis two. Every, mm-hmm. Everything in this whole discussion goes back to Genesis two. And whether you think, the differentiation between the roles of men and women existed before the fall in Genesis right, 2 right. or they began with the fall in Genesis 3. And she said, I believe they started in Genesis 2 as part of God's good creation. And because mm-hmm. of that, now that Christ has come and we're supposed to move back towards the original design as much as possible in redemption, mm-hmm. what are we moving back toward? Are we moving towards a undifferentiated egalitarianism or towards a God-given complementarianism? And she said, because I believe these distinctions existed in chapter 2 before the fall, they're good in themselves, and therefore what we're going back to is a God-given complementarianism, mm-hmm. a distinction mm-hmm. between men and women and how they love one another and relate to one another. Yeah, It's complementary yeah. rather than interchangeable. Okay, so what it, so okay, I'm going to tell you what I think right now because a lot of things are just thrown. I just heard a lot of things. But what, what it sounds like to me is like... Uh, it sounds like the dating podcast in a way where John would talk about like this system of dating and how mm-hmm. like this is a wise way of doing it. And this is like, pe- but people, people emailed and they're like, that sounds uh, legalistic and whatnot. I feel like people are going to say the same thing about this viewpoint is that it's legalistic that like people in the church, they, and I know you just talked about this, but then like people, people in church don't respect women, like men are yeah. evil and whatever, but how can we then, um, what what are the specific roles then? How does right. that work within marriage? And I know th- this is a big question, right. but I'm so trying to... so just to clarify, when you say this is legalistic, you don't mean what we've said. You said people who believe this sort of thing end up producing legalism because because what's the Com- law? Like Jill and I have not laid down any any claims yet about right, what people but should the do. people right I, yeah what you're but saying. But people who believe yeah. this then often fall into legalism. Yeah, now, how do you not do that? How do you right? Okay, well. Okay, you could also ask the question, how do people who are egalitarian not fall into license, right? Like every view has its natural dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So when you say there are rules, whenever you say, look, there's a structure to the way things should be, this is called a teleological approach. Like there's a a purpose, there's a meaning. And the best way to flourish as human beings is to live into the meaning 
as opposed to there aren't rules, there's liberty, we should do whatever we want, right? If you believe in a meaning-based approach, a teleological approach, then by definition, you're going to get shoulds. And every should is going to, most shoulds are going to lead to, you should do this and not that, which is a law, right? So they're going to produce an implicit law, right? Women should do this, they shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Men should do this, they shouldn't do that. Yeah. I think that's always going to be the case when you're constructing something based on the meaning and purpose of something. Right. Mm-hmm. Whenever you say, well, what's most important is that we're free and we can do what we want to seek happiness however we feel like it. The implicit problem you're usually going to get is people do whatever they want and you're going to get problems with license. You're going to get anarchy, right? With what? With, what? with license. When people can have license to do whatever they want. Oh, yeah. yeah you're right, going to get right. anarchy. Whenever you yeah. have meaning and purpose, which yeah, leads right, to right. direction, you're going to yeah. get tyranny yeah, is, okay. is what you're going to yeah. naturally mm-hmm. fall into. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So, yes, it's true that once you focus on the meaning of male and femaleness and you believe that there's something to live into, you're going to – it's the natural way that's going to go wrong is tyranny. That's true. And that's legalism, right? So the question is, so the question is, how do you live out something in deep meaning and purpose and not become legalistic? Yeah, that's always mm-hmm. the issue whenever you're living according to me. Well, do you think it's possible? To, oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, to that point, I think, so God gives us guidelines and rules so that we can live out our purpose. That's why yeah. he gives us the law. And, mm-hmm. and that's why, or that's why he gave us the law and that's why he gives us rules. And... Yeah. That's the tr- that's the same thing with these gender roles because mm-hmm. it's really important to notice in Genesis how implicit all of this is. Right. It's it's who we were created to be and who we naturally are if we're not thinking about it. So even in yeah. even in this fall when Eve sinned, you can see and and when Adam sinned, you can see all of this implicitly as well. So Eve what did she do? She t- she was scared she was going to have some not have something that she needed. She was scared that God wasn't going to give her what she needed. And so she took it before it was time for her to have it. And that's what that's undermining. Right? right? That's what we see women do naturally as they sin and what in the curse there's this undermining that women will do to try to take authority that isn't theirs. And we yeah. see men uh giving up their leadership and just watching um as adam didn't stop eve and so, mm-hmm. so all this is think, so implicit and, and yeah and the, it's important to remember that, that what eve essentially does is she turns to another provider mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. she she has a need pro, she's supposed to look to somebody else for provision yeah. right mm-hmm. so that she can f- use what's provided to create beauty and the good things she's responsible to create so instead of turning to the man or to god she turns to right. the serpent and allows the serpent serpent to usurp the role of provider similarly mm-hmm. the 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 man was responsible in God's place to be the provider of leadership. Like one of the things that if you, if you say that the masculine role is essentially the role of the provider, one of the things the male, the male is supposed to provide is leadership mm-hmm. without leadership. People don't know what to do. Right. And so Adam was clearly not providing the kind of leadership that was necessary. We know that because it didn't work. Right. He, he, and the, the Bible actually has this like little tagline that women love to point out that when Eve ate the fruit, it says, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her. Right. Nobody knows what exactly right. what that means, like two feet, 30 feet. Uh, who knows what that means? Yeah, I was wondering. But what it means is he was around, right. and he yeah. should have right. been around sufficient to intervene, and it's clearly he had not sufficiently prepared her for what she was going to face with the serpent. Right. So it's important to recognize that that relationship of provision and response is fundamental. But one of the things that Jill pointed out that I think is really important for listeners to hear is it is remarkable how few explicit commands there are in the scripture about gender roles. There are mm-hmm. assumptions, there are presumptions, there are expectations, but there are like a couple 
one or two actual commands. Men should do this and women should do this. And there's only one thing I know of in almost the whole scriptures that women, it says women shouldn't do this, men should do this. Mm-hmm. And so it's important. Like, I think people think that if they read the whole Bible, they're like, there's all this stuff that tells women to do and all this stuff that tells men to do. And there's almost none of that, literally almost none of it. Mm-hmm. They're basically that this meaning and purpose is laid out. And then we're expected to become mature enough human beings to figure out how we're going to make it work in our relationships. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So I was reading through uh, Ephesians five, verse 22. Um, it says, wives submit to your husbands. So, uh, and that's not the whole thing, but I just took that little section out because I, I have a question on that. Cause what exactly does submit mean? And at what point has like a man gone too far? Uh, cause I think some men, I, I know within my life, like there's been men that I've seen that have used this passage to excuse verbal, emotional, and even physical abuse in marriage to mm-hmm. say like, they don't understand what submit means. I don't really understand what submit means. I have no idea. Like I, like I grew up, in my generation, like there is no such thing as obviously I don't I hated submitting to authority. Nobody submits to anyone. Nobody submits right. to anybody. So having like right. I, in within marriage, it really confuses me. I'm like, how how is like me? I, I'm 20 years old. Yeah. Let's say I get married in 10 years or hopefully before that. But in 10 years um, and how as a man am I supposed to expect somebody to submit? And if I have no idea what that even looks like, I I've, it's like a. Aliens said it. That's yeah. that's literally what I'm thinking when I'm reading so through. So maybe Jill has some like concrete things she wants to share about this. But let, let me say just say clearly about er, there's a couple places in the Bible where women are told to submit to their husbands. Three, I think actually, First Peter, Colossians, and here in Ephesians. And in each case, it's a command to women. So it's really important to make that clear. In every case where women are told to submit to their husbands, it's a command given to women. Mm-hmm. And in no place in the Bible are men encouraged to enforce it. Women have to choose morally. Yeah on the basis of faith. In fact, first Peter explicitly says that it explicitly says you should do it out of faith and not give in to fear. And then it, then it turns to the husband and says, don't be harsh with your wife, but treat her with dignity or honor as the weaker partner. Otherwise God isn't going to listen to your prayers. Right. <laughs> that, like, literally, it literally there's, there's, yeah. there's statements in that. the Bible about like, listen, if you misuse your position as a man yeah. and, and part of that is to call the wife a weaker partner is to say that, when women can fully embody their femininity, it's going to leave them vulnerable in certain ways mm-hmm. because they're trying to be warm and nurturing and soft in certain kinds of ways. They're, yeah. they're not, they're not weak, but they're like, they're engaging in it's ways that make to, you vulnerable. Yeah, right. And when a person makes themselves vulnerable for good reasons, you have to respect that or yeah. they harden up. Right. Right. And then it ruins everything good about life together. And so what he's saying is you can never, so here's the short answer for men. Forget about it. You, you don't get to, there's no, there's no recourse and no way for you to enforce submission on your wife. No, maybe not enforce it, but what, like my question was more, what does that look like? What does it look like for a wife to be submissive? Like, obviously my biggest issue when I get married, I already know it is going to be, I'm going to want to enforce it because I'm a control freak and I'm, that's how I am. And I think most guys are like that. And we just like want to do that. But like what, but what does that look like? And then also how can, how can I, how can men respect that? How can, how can we respect that and like use it to work together with your wife rather than being like, I don't know, always in conflict or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. there's been a ton of marriage issues in my family, like right. not like my mm-hmm. whole family. So like I've seen how it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I haven't mm-hmm. seen a lot of how it does work. And so yeah. I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah. Um, there's like a million thoughts going through my head. So yeah. uh, to start with, I think, like we were talking about before, uh, this is this is a command. There's no way to get around that it's a command. But 
the reason this is hard for us is because of all the implicit parts to it, the implicit curse that's always going on that creates, um, well, not it's, a, it's actually a curse, it's explicit, but in the text, it's implicit, that there's always this tension going on and we're not going to want to submit. So as women, um, I think the reason this is difficult is because submission requires trust, which is exactly what Eve did not do when she sinned. She didn't trust God, who she was supposed to, and she didn't trust her husband or look to him, and she took it for herself. And so that's going to be the tendency all the time. And so it's very, it's, you're right, Andy, that it's really hard to see what it looks like because it's a war that goes on in your own heart um, as a woman. And so I think, and I also never saw it really. I, my parents were divorced when I was a child and they, I don't remember much about their marriage. And since then I don't remember. And that's true for my whole family, basically that everyone's divorced. And so I've only seen the tension between the genders, I think in my family. Um, But what I've noticed is that if, as a woman, you trust God and you submit to God. Mm-hmm. It's similar in how you defer to him and his authority. Um, it's similar in your own relationship with your husband. I also want to, I do want to point out, uh, Andy, you had asked this earlier, but it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that women are just supposed to submit to every man on earth. Yeah. Yeah. Society. I was asking about that. I didn't. So this is just this is just your husband or the elders of the church, so God's household or your own household. But um, what it looks like for me is I can, if I'm reflective and pursuing Christ, I can I notice the moments that I'm trying to take and take and take to provide for myself, and I'm not trusting my husband to do that, and he can notice as well. Um, those are the those are the points where there's only actually a few of them, like maybe two or three where we always run into a wall and it's because, and he'll say this, he'll say, I feel like you don't trust me. And those are the, that's the root of it. That is a fear of trusting him. And so that's why I don't want to defer to him in submission. Um, But it is a choice that I have to make. He can't make me do it. Yeah. Jill, sometimes a lot of, I've heard this from a number of women saying that, um, but there are going to be areas in my life where I'm just more competent than my husband. And so it doesn't make sense that competence should rule in the area of submission rather than gender. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably too simplistic <laughs> and false. Um, I think I'm trying to think of an example, but um, well, okay. Maybe it's, as a, I don't know if this is proving a point or not, but as an, an illustration that came to mind is that, um, so in parenting, for example, um, I don't think it's an area I'm more competent in necessarily, but I am around my kids more. And it's an area of leadership that, that God has given me to nurture them and to raise them up because I'm around more than my husband is because he works more than I do. And so there are moments where he chooses, he asks me what I think because I know more about them throughout mm-hmm. the day and like what their schedules look like and what they might need in each moment. And ultimately, like he'll ask me those things. He has his own opinions. And those are sometimes difficult moments 
and we have to figure out who we're going to defer to. And ultimately, yes, if he, we had to make this life-changing decision and he had a different opinion than me, I would have to submit to him. But um, it doesn't like play out that way. What it plays out as is he's looking for my help because I'm his, I'm his helper Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I know something that he doesn't. And I have the, the uh, expertise in the moment that he might not have. And there's other areas that that's true of as well. Like we have different, we have very different spiritual gifts. We have very different interests and very different skills. And so there is a natural deference to the expert in those moments, but um, ultimately in a decision point where leadership has to be taken, I would have to defer to him. But those don't, those types of like um, impasses don't happen very often in real time. So at what point then is it gone too far? Like if from, hmm. from your perspective, like uh, for a young woman or for somebody who just is married or for somebody who's been married for a long time, when is, when has it become like abuse? Like when is a, has it become emotional like or when the man is abusing a woman? Yeah. Cause there's the, the wife. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't not like physical abuse. I mean, obviously we kind of know mm-hmm. when that is, but there's a lot of emotional and even like verbal abuse. And at what point? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I, okay. So let's, let's, let's clear. I want to clarify something because I think you're using the word abuse in its broader meaning. Yeah. Probably. So uh, yeah. Uh, when, when you are engaging in any sexual act, physical act, like, or verbal act that has the intent to harm another person, to kind of break them down to get them to do what you want to con- yeah. um, and to like sort of dominate them. And, and I'm not talking about just like one, one instance verbally, like somebody says something that really hurts your feelings that that is going to happen in marriage. But when that's like a predominant um, long-term work of battering someone down into submission, that, that which constitutes a good definition of abuse is of course always wrong. There's never a time when abuse is anything other than abuse and by definition wrong and sinful and damnable, right? It's a, it's a very terrible thing. I think what you're trying to get at is abuse being like manipulation will yeah, naturally enter into relationships. Like misuse or, of, the, of the power. Yeah, yeah like, like when, you, when you're not have... serving the other person and you're serving yeah. yourself. Whenever you right, act right. in a self-serving mm-hmm. manner, right, you're not living in deference to the other person's needs and desires. And so, right, like there, there is stuff that isn't abuse that isn't good. Yeah, that's what you're saying. And you're saying, like, what is that stuff? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's where it's really unhelpful to pluck out the verse about women in Ephesians five and only look at that. Yeah, because the whole passage (laughs) is about submission. Right. Like we did. Yeah. (laughs) From verse 21. Um, The whole passage is about submission and how we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But as we got as we talked about earlier in creation, order requires leadership. And so when it comes down to it, there needs to be leadership in all these different areas that are laid out in Ephesians 5. And one of them is in men and women, in a man and a wife or husband and wife. And then it talks about children and then it talks about slaves and masters. And those are areas where order is necessary. And so leadership is necessary. And in that, in the part of marriage, about marriage, it talks about how husbands are to love your wives. And we mm-hmm. biblically love is self-sacrifice. And it's something that is causes the other person good and flourishing. And so um, yeah, and explicitly- in submission, that when someone, like, so my husband is following Christ. And so what I need to do is trust that faith in him and trust that he is going to our higher authority that we both need to submit to, who is Christ, and trust that 
because of that, he's going to choose a loving action toward me. And yeah. he is also sinful, but I need to trust that that is what his default will be if he is pursuing Christ because Christ loves both of us and is leading him. Yeah. Um, but with that, if, if a husband is not pursuing Christ consistently or there can be unloving, selfish actions, but you'll know it because it's not flourish. It's not producing the good for the other person. That is hard to see sometimes as a woman when I just think I'm, mm. he's not right. Um, mm. Or that I, I know better or something like that. But um, yeah, I, Jill, yeah. can I, I want to, I think I can say something about this here. Um, so we already talked about the first Peter passage and exactly what that says about husbands and how they should treat their, the, their wife like the, with honor as the weaker vessel. That's like mm-hmm. a very specific kind of claim. And it's something that I think men should really think about. You want the femininity in your wife to come out as much as possible, mm-hmm. but built into femininity is vulnerability. And so in order for that femininity to come out in its entirety, you have to create a very, very safe environment for her. Right. And so therefore you have to treat her as quote, the weaker vessel in that, in that sense mm-hmm. that in order for her to let herself be vulnerable and to engage in vulnerable acts, she has to feel safe. So you got to put a wall around that area, right? In in Ephesians 5, which is one of the places people get on about, people overlook some of the theological language as though it doesn't apply to marriage. But it, it doesn't just say, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. People go, well, Jesus died for it. Like, you should be like that. It goes on and says, he died for mm-hmm. to make her holy, cleansing mm-hmm. her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Mm-hmm. So that reminds me of when Jesus, that what I think, I think of when Jesus washed his disciples feet. When yeah. You, when you mm-hmm. say that. So if you, if you imagine the, per, the church, all the believers in Christ being totally sanctified, being fully believers in him, being totally mature and substantive in their faith, being as godly as Jesus Christ himself, right? And to be completely without any blot or stain or wrinkle of any kind, right? That's the metaphor that's being used for the wife in this case. Mm-hmm. So if you look at what a husband's relationship to his wife should be like, you're, what you're trying to do is to present her at the end of your marriage to Jesus as if she was an individual bride of Christ or church completely flourished in all she can be in her humanity to Christ. And so, so you don't just want your wife to be happy or you want her to blossom completely in her spiritual capacity and godliness and her full humanity. That's your job as, as perfect as Christ would present the church to himself. And if you, if you make that a rule for yourself, you're, you're not going to get anywhere near abuse. Yeah. You're you're just, everything you do is for her good. Everything, like everything. Yeah. I was going to ask, well, Oh, okay. I, I want to revisit the the competence question if we can. So I know we kind of we went off into the abuse thing, but I kind of yeah, it was, it that did, was intentionally a bait, right? It didn't feel like we answered the competence question of no. okay, so what would it look like? Jill for, answered it later, by right, accident, right? Um, but yeah, I, I want to know what does it look like to actually right to make distinctions of of competence or not to be like okay, my my wife is much better than me. Let's say at like mm-hmm. financial planning. Like to, to like, at what point does it become, um, like at what point is, is she taking on so many, let's say like, Oh, she's better than me at everything. She's better than me at financial planning. She's better than me at getting groceries. She's better than me at taking care of the kids. She's better, better than me at mowing the lawn. So she might as well do all those things. If we're deferring to competence, like at what point, like how do you balance 
competence with leadership and like where where would you begin to see like okay this seems to be sliding into the point where it's no longer like the man taking headship or the man leading or the man providing but now it's it's kind of slid into this like oh i'm going to lead in letting you the more competent one do the stuff like how would you sort out that in that situation that definitely happens yeah i mean this is this is so i'm i'm currently engaged to Christina Flaherty. And this is some of the discussions. Christina Flaherty. These are some of the discussions that we've we've had is we've we've started to have the the discussion on competence of like she's mm-hmm. she's a much better organizer than I am. Um and okay, what is that gonna Which what is, is that statistically look common like? for females. Right. Yeah. But it's like, right, what is that gonna look like as we get into a marriage? And I I feel this pressure to be like, okay, how do I not how do I not not provide for her? in like putting too much weight on her and like when I should be like, how do I bear the proper weight that I should be bearing and all of the little Mm -hmm. ways that plays itself out. I have lots more thoughts about this. Excellent. Um, So (laughs) I think on a high level, women tend to need to make sure they're not being too independent because we want to be independent we unhelpfully and sometimes sinfully want to be too independent from our husbands and husbands will tend toward wanting to be too dependent on their wives in you how, think, wait, like, you think that's, you think that's true? Is that like, I, how, why is that true? I think because of, I think this goes back to the past, the, the curse and what we see, what men and women will want to try to do in the relationship to each other. Mm-hmm. So let me say a few. Th- so, okay. Bird's eye view right now. So th- I think that's true. That breaks down into, I mean, that's maybe not universally true in every situation, but that's a tendency that we yeah. have to be careful of. I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I think some another of the ways, tendency, or, huh? go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You can ask a question if you want. No, I was, I was going to say, I think a way that that potentially breaks down is like, you look at what a, a man and a woman need is like a woman a woman needs in childbearing to be safe. So like her natural yeah. inclination is going to, if she's is to, is going to be to not trust the man to create safety. And so therefore create safety for herself because of the kind of thing that she's going to need to produce. And a man isn't in that place where he's going to have to bear his own children. Well, and then be I, I think that there's so two types of women then there, because I th- I've, I've met both types. One woman would go complete independent and, I'm going to do I'm going to protect her or be secure within myself and do it myself. One woman would depend or find something else that they can depend on, right? I I mean those are only two groups, but, but th- that's what I've seen. And yeah, but you, you see I think you see that in males too. I think you see some men who want to be supported mm-hmm. and then other men who want to be carried. So this There's is way like too a, many men who want to be carried these days. Right? Yeah, we're pff, yeah. yeah, don't get me started. I've seen so many women like hard workers get together with men because they want a man in their life for some things. And then they're just carrying the guy. Like he's not, he doesn't even have a job. He plays video yeah. games and stuff like that. And so I, I, I think, I think that tends to exist with there's, there's a, like laziness and sloth is a universal human sin. And, yeah. and th- that's yeah, one of the that's things true. to remember when you're talking about gender roles is sin has gender roles too. Hmm. So sloth comes out through women in various ways and through men and they tend to be slightly different. Yeah. They overlap, but they're slightly different. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Show that you want. Yeah. And so, just like just like in the natural 
gifts that men and women might tend to have, there's going to be people who don't fit into the norm exactly. I think that's mm-hmm. true. Is that what you're saying, right. Nick? That's, that is implied in what I said, yes. Yeah. There are di- um, men and women are creatures of distribution, Right. So you'll have some men that'll be high, like highly masculine in every possible measurement. And then you'll have men that are in almost none in all kinds of in between. But when you mm-hmm. take the, the distribution of women and men and you lay them over each other, they don't match. Mm-hmm. They're not, they don't even come close to matching. So distributionally, men and women are very different. But there's always overlap between men and women in everything. And actually, I mean, that is what is perfectly complementary. If God had made a woman who does nothing a man does and a man that does nothing a woman does, it would be an extremely impractical and unworkable relationship. Mm-hmm. You need two creatures that overlap a lot, like maybe 70, 75%, and then don't overlap some right. to really get a truly complementary group of people, right? It's like you think about it in a sport, like if you had basketball players that were very complementary, a, a lot of them would do a lot of the same stuff, right. but then they'd all have little specialties. Which and is that's Wisconsin kinda... basketball for you. A bunch of guys who do the exact same things and they never win a championship. I just wanted to say that because I hate Wisconsin basketball. Yeah, they're not complimentary. If they would obey God, then they would be better. If, okay, so yeah, Jill, back to so so. Would you describe them as egalitarian? <laughs> All the yes. same. Yes, they're robots. Yes. Anyway, okay. So uh, wait. Can, back to the point where well, this is Optum Sports podcast now. Jill. Okay. So your question originally. <laughs> yeah, we got a little off track. What? <laughs> I try to remember. Well, it okay, was about Jill, can how, I take us back I, to I think the heart of the question because the, the so you started answering this. It was about competence, right? What if yes. yeah. I am more competent than my husband? Yeah, shouldn't he submit to me in that thing? And then you sort of basically said, "Well, you kind of feel out competence, and then people do what they're competent in, and so it doesn't really come down to submission very often because if both people are humble, they can figure out the competence roles." And then John was like, "Yeah, except if you have a highly competent woman." You could have a situation mm-hmm. where she feels more competent in a bunch of things, and then you have a work imbalance, where now if the woman does all the things she's more competent right. in, she does more work. Mm-hmm. Okay, I still don't think that's the heart of the question, because the answer to that is, dude, you need to do work. You're going to need to do right. some of the stuff she's more competent in, the way she tells you to do it, and you're going to have to be the worker. But see, in that case, you could be the subordinate, and she could be the right. one. In, that doesn't really answer the question. The, the answer is, should guys fall into slothfulness if they have a hardworking, competent woman? The answer is no. She will right. resent you and hate you in the end. It's a terrible way to live. And it's ungodly because you should be serving each other mm-hmm. so you don't freeload on a woman if you're serving her, right? The question comes down to leadership. Right. Yes. I was going to say- That's the question. This, yeah. And like, before, here's, a, here's an example. In one of your monologues, Jill, you said, after you said stuff about competence, at one point you just said as a side statement, look, without leadership, there's chaos. And then you just kept talking. I think ultimately that's what you're going to get back to is the fact that part of the purpose of structure is because the alternative is no structure. Mm-hmm. Part of the chaos of fully egalitarian marriages is because there isn't anyone who is in charge. No one is in charge. Yeah. And that, right. now that isn't necessarily an evil thing, but it has its own built-in liabilities, which is no one is ultimately in charge. Yeah. And, and when that happens, the sin that tends to, crop up is anarchy just like when somebody is in charge the sin that tends to crop up is tyranny yeah and so you have the problem yeah. of anarchy and that really does happen because you get at loggerheads with each other and there is no one to solve that because mm-hmm. no one is in charge mm-hmm. and i think that's where at a bird's eye view it comes down to knowing who is calling the shot so a really usually non-controversial example of this it's controversial right now because it's about the genders <laughs> and we don't want to do what we're supposed to um, but in work all the t- so I work for Nick 
he tells me all the time what to do. Sometimes he doesn't tell me what to do, but what I'm doing, all the work that I'm doing is under his leadership and he could, he could change the direction of what I'm doing. But I also have all of this authority to do what I'm supposed to do. We see it in the Bible as well with um, the steward and a master. Um, So there's a a lot of examples of that. That's just leadership where Mm -hmm. someone is delegating and when you're del- when you have something delegated to you, you have authority over it. That's true. Yeah. But you also are under leadership of someone else. Right. Right. And that's basically, I mean, that's as Christina and I have had these discussions, that's more or less the conclusions that we've come to as like the way we sorted it out is, okay, she might be, she might be much better than me at something, but that would still, it would still fall under like ultimately like the buck would stop with me with regards to the responsibility of it and the responsibility mm-hmm. to like, to make sure it's being attended to mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. to take, right, to take yeah. leadership. Okay, let me make a gender-specific comment here that I think is important because sometimes women are like, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. Like, why do I have to, well, okay, part of it is if you come at ideas like this ideologically, it's philosophically, like this is what should be. A, like A should be this. We should all mm-hmm. have the same rights. Therefore, we should be egalitarian. Therefore, there's no gender roles. That is philosophically correct in a way. Like you could see the logic of that. But if you, but that's see the problem is that's not reality because what you you didn't actually start with the creatures that you actually have and are working with. Mm-hmm. So if you proceed, see the Bible here, I think proceeds psychologically. It says what kind of creature is a man and what kind of creature is a woman, because one of the biggest difficulties that women are going to have are men who abdicate doing the work that they need to do. Right. And if you replace a man and you make a man unnecessary, what men tend to do is what leaders who don't need to lead do is they just stop doing stuff. Part of what keeps men in the game and being the kind of men that women want them to be is responsibility. Mm-hmm. Responsibility changes men and it harnesses them mm-hmm. and it chisels them into what they need to become. Yes. And the leadership that they take in a family is part of what causes them to um, commit themselves to the the building and constructing of a family rather than tearing down other stuff and doing whatever they want. Like, in one of the things that I think women begin to realize as they begin to embrace and live out a complementarian theology is that they should n- they should not deprive their husband of what leadership does to him mm-hmm. and what they find in the end is is that what leadership does to him is make them this responsive responsibility taking yeah, active that's good initiating leader who produces and provides and acts Mm. and works and thinks ahead and all those sorts of things. And without that, given that role, he will not become that creature. And then the woman is constantly languishing, wishing there was a creature in her life that did these things so that she could be feminine Mm. and there isn't. And then what you get is the woman who's trying to be a man and woman. And she's so upset Mm. and resentful and angry that she has to do everything and be everything. Mm. And nobody should have to be. And yeah. so I think that when women look at it from a psychological perspective and say, look at what this does to people and how it forms us and mm-hmm. allows men to be masculine, yeah. then from a psychological perspective, it seems very reasonable. I'm not saying the person who comes at it philosophically and says like, we should all be equal. That's like equality is the top value and therefore there should be like that all is perfectly rational. I think what it misunderstands is a psychological issue of, but not everybody is the same. Right. You have these things called men and women. They are different. They were made complementary. And if you don't take that meaning and purpose into your system, you have a philosophically true system that is completely destructive and doesn't work and leads to everyone's misery. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. Bi- that, like I love that. Yeah, I, I that blew my mind. I don't even. I, I yeah. want to say wow. something to women who are listening right now. Yes, please. Because yes. go ahead, Jill. Um, that should be really freeing that you don't have to do everything. Mm. And I think, like logically, we think that sounds nice. I wish he would do more. If you're in a relationship, you might think that. But the ways that we, out of fear, continue to try to take and take and take because we're afraid we won't have what we need because he's not going to give it to us, uh, that is perpetuating <laughs> the cycle of, mm-hmm. of the man not taking the responsibility. And so if you're in that situation or if you find yourself in the future in that situation, what you need to do sometimes is to let things drop and to say, this was your responsibility mm-hmm. and it didn't happen. And that's really scary to happen or to, to let happen. Um, I think it's also really scary for women to let men do things their way. Hmm. Yes. I think it's, yeah. the, I think it's the most scary in parenting, but I think yes. it's true in lots of things that when women come in and say, I know I need you to do it this way, do it this way, do it. Th-, there's a lot of times guys are just like, I don't want to even do it that way. Like right. I, I'm not even interested in doing it anymore if we're doing it that way. And I think yeah. that by women letting men do the things they're supposed to do more their way, sometimes that can really engage men more too. Yeah. I, this is really important and it's personally important to me. I can say that I crushed the life out of my husband like for years because I had all these, I had all these expectations of what I thought he should be as a spiritual leader, which is thrown out all the time as Christians. We always say that he should be the spiritual leader, which yeah, yes. But we have all these ideas, even if we don't admit that of what we think that looks like. And my husband is very different than me. He has different spiritual gifts than me. And I was just doing and doing and doing and taking and taking and not letting him lead in the ways that were true of how he would lead. Okay. We just had a minor technical difficulty that lasted 20 minutes where Nick went on his computer <laughs> and played video games. That and was the technical that, difficulty. That was, he needed, he's addicted That's to video games <laughs> and he needed to get on there. So we had to stop the podcast. No, we just had a technical difficulty, but we are back. Jill, you were, you were just talking about, uh, you, you want to finish? Yeah. You? We were talking about, um, I was talking about spiritual leadership and what I want to say is that, uh, I think, especially for young women who are looking at relationships as in terms as, as far as the women I've mentored who are either dating or in relationships that are newer or single and looking for a relationship. There's this concept of spiritual leadership that I think can be crippling when we have a certain idea of what a man should look like as a spiritual leader. And so, um, for me, what, what happened and what I think has happened for women that I've mentored is that we have expectations of what that looks like for the men we're with, but we're not letting the men that we're with be themselves Mm. as a leader. And so an example of this actually, that was really recent for me (laughs) as I was thinking about this was um, Andy and I were texting about this episode actually. And it was like, it was in the evening and at the same time. So my spiritual gifts are um, prophecy and shepherding and, Sometimes I get teaching show up when I take a test. Um, And my husband, at the same time I was texting with Andy, was going to the church. It was like 9 p.m. And he was going to help someone on the worship team. He was not on the worship team that night. 
he got an email from Nicole saying like this cord is broken things that I don't know about but um he he just was he just went to the church he didn't have to do that and um he has the gifts of service and helps and so those are behind the scenes things and so I think what I'm trying to say to, to young women is to look to make be careful of what you're assuming a spiritual leader is because my husband has led me and served me really quietly in terms he's not a loud outspoken guy mm-hmm. and I've missed all these ways that he's been leading me and all these ways that he's been showing love to me because it wasn't what I thought it should look like. And that is really crippling to a man to not, to always feel like he's failing in the role that he's given. And so I think that speaks to, to what Nick was saying about letting a man have the responsibility and be the leader. But you also have to be careful of checking your own expectations of what that's exactly going to look like for the person that you're with. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I think for the last section of this, this podcast, we're going to go into more, my favorite part, um, the church, like gender roles within the church structure and, uh, and, and all that. So I'm going to read, uh, uh, verses 34 and 35 out of first Corinthians, I don't know if this is the whole verse or not. When I was writing them, I just write stuff down. So um, I have written down, the woman should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. Now, uh, what does this mean? Because I, I don't, when we come to church, I mean, I assume that he's talking about like the building uh, within the building church. And when we come to church, like women talk all the time and it's great and it's fine. So I'm, I'm confused, like, cause that's brought up all the time when me and my friends, we'll talk about this stuff and we'll bring that up and we have no idea really what it means. Cause mm-hmm. if like, if women aren't supposed to talk, then aren't we doing a really bad job? But I also don't think that that's what it, what it means. Right. So what does that mean? I think it's important to clarify for people who don't have context that you just quoted from first Corinthians chapter 14 and in first mm-hmm. Corinthians oh, yeah, I didn't give it chapter 11, Women are encouraged to speak publicly in the church. Mm. Okay. So two pages earlier. Yeah, sure. So there's this whole section in there where he talks about how prophecy should be shared in the church. Mm-hmm. And it's and he specifically talks about how women should do it, mm-hmm. which of course presumes women are doing it, right? So um, women are encouraged at least explicitly in 1 Corinthians itself to pray and prophesy in the church, both of which require speaking. Right, because it's this assumption that it's a corporate prayer or prophecy. So whatever First Corinthians fourteen means and those verses, it can't contradict what the same author wrote two pages earlier. Does that make sense? Now, the second thing it's important to understand yeah. that those two verses are actually disputed in the original text. So in the New Testament manuscripts that we have, um, those two verses show up in one place in some of the texts, and the verses show up in a different place earlier in the passage in the other texts, which has led some people to believe that the in those verses are an interpolation. That is, they were inserted later by a different author. Now, I don't think that's probably true because we don't have any manuscripts. The ones that I just read. The ones you just read, right? Okay. So, um, because that's the case, um, that, that they're in two different spots in different groups of manuscripts, some people think that it was interpolation or put in later. Others think that just somebody adjusted it in a manuscript and they shouldn't have, but they thought that they could do it. Because moving a text is the same as deleting it. So, um, most complementarians, including myself, think that it's decently likely the verses are original, um, but that what but that what they can't, obviously what they can't mean is they can't overrule verse Christians eleven. So because chapter four, the context of chapter fourteen is prophecy, 
We know women can prophesy. So we know that that chapter isn't outlawing that. It seems to be that what's going on in that those two verses is that the assumption already exists that the church is being led by elders. The assumption also already exists that those elders are male. So that what is happening in 1 Corinthians 14 is that male elders are explicitly judging or discerning whether or not prophecies should be accepted or received by the church. Mm. They're do, going through a process of discernment that only elders should do. And therefore, that work should not be interrupted by the women of the church, right? Um, I think that's the most that makes the most sense of the context in the structure. It is possible those verses were not in the original 1 Corinthians Paul wrote. Though I think that's unlikely. I would love it if they weren't there. I mean, I, obviously I struggle with that because I'm a modern guy and I have, I'm like, I, I grew up kind of feminist to my bone. Um, and so I would just, it'd be easier for me if they weren't in the Bible at all. But but they are in every manuscript that we have. They're, we don't have any manuscript where they're not there. If there, We even had one Greek manuscript where those verses weren't in it. The all Virtually all scholars would believe that, they were, that that was put in later. But we don't. And mm-hmm. so until one is found that is like that. The assumption is it's, it's more likely those verses are original, but that one of the, some scribe moved them around because he thought they made better sense somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I think that the reason that he, that scribe moved it is because it seemed like it made better sense to make it clear that it referred to the judging of prophecies. Hmm. But that's a, that's a difficult passage to make sense of. I think it's, I think it's was a great providence of God that in chapter 11 we have an explicit statement yeah. when we can teach so that we know mm-hmm. that that doesn't mean what it seems to obviously say. Well, the next verse, it says, um, if there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is uh, shameful for a woman to speak in church. When I read this, this implies that men and husbands should know what they're talking about, and so so wives should be able to ask them. But in my opinion... A lot of the pe- men in the church have no clue what they're talking about when it comes to scripture. So it just felt like when I was reading that, that God was like, you need to let, you need to know what you're talking about. But I don't know if that's even, I don't know if that is a good interpretation of that or if that's a terrible interpretation of it. I mean, that's a perfectly good positive application of it. I'm not sure that it means, I don't think it means women should, the only places where, there's two places where it says women should be silent or have a quiet spirit in the church. Both in my view are specifically related to elders operating in the exclusive province of elders. Mm. And that's it. And then we have other evidence like 1 Corinthians 11 that explicitly says women can speak in church. So Paul doesn't clearly does not mean it is literally always shameful for women to speak in church because he just told them to speak. It's not just like right. he like thinks it's okay sometimes. He literally said, I want women to speak in church. Please follow these two guidelines. We, we want women to pray and prophesy. If that's the baseline of First Corinthians eleven, then you have to interpret those verses in line with those with mm-hmm. First Corinthians eleven. I think mm-hmm. that that's why when I give lectures on women's roles in the churches, I start with First Corinthians eleven. Mm-hmm. That that's how I set the baseline. What Paul yeah. explicitly invites women to do, and I think and I say now Paul is not going to say something that contradicts this later. Okay, so this gets into the fun part. I was. I was big into not long ago. I mean, I talked to you, I talked to John, and I talked to Vince about this a ton. I talked to Luke, and I um, I would get really really pissed off when I saw a church had a female pastor. I would get really pissed off, and I and I thought that it was the worst thing in the whole world. And I looked into it a little bit more, um, and I still think it's not a good thing. Here's my viewpoint on this, and I'm going to I'm gonna I'm gonna say this as clear as I possibly can. I think that. The way that uh, the American church and the American people in the American church congregation 
um, treat pastors is not what is how we're supposed to treat them biblically. And, um, and so therefore I don't think that women should be pastors in America, but I think that women can be pastors. If we're talking about the biblical women shouldn't teach is what I think in front of men. But I've talked to other people and, and they told me that, that you have a somewhat of a different viewpoint on that, Nick. Well, here's a question. So we have to define what we mean by teach because am I teaching right now? I don't know, dude. I listen. No, I no right. And I have thought about that. <laughs> I've been like listening to the, my own podcast because I listen to them all the time. And I'm like, oh crap! Like, am I doing? I've literally been like, oh no! I like God's gonna get pissed or something because uh, maybe this is maybe this is teaching. I mean, I think this is in some ways. I don't think I'm teaching, but you guys are definitely teaching. You guys are there's information that other people don't have so maybe maybe we're just sinning or maybe i have no clue what i'm talking about so so here's the question why shouldn't women teach in front of men in the bible where does it say where does it talk about that let me let me look see if i wrote down it says it did you want me to help him or should i just let him well i think that's a helpful place to start you can you can decide how much you want to let him squirm for a while you're looking you should first timothy chapter two yeah first (laughs) All right. Well, I thought I had it written down. Do you just want to say it, Nick? Can you just repeat it? You're, you're like a Bible dictionary. Yeah, I have a Bible I can <laughs> open. Yeah, so First Timothy says that... Um, the Apostle Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. What verse? Is the most, it's chapter 2, verse uh, 7 or 8, I think is where it starts. Um, because there's an explanation mm-hmm. that comes after. It's actually kind of a complicated passage. Yeah. Yeah. So it says um, in in verse 11, this is the old NIV. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. I would like to say, if you're a woman listening to this and you have never heard any of these passages before, we've actually now covered all of them in the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you shouldn't think that there's a bunch of stuff you've never heard. Like, th- this is the most difficult one in the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, it's the only one really like it. And we'll talk about what it means. But I, d- I don't want you to think if you're a woman listening that, like, we just got to two or three of them. And gosh, the Bible must be full of this sort of right. seeming misogyny. The Bible is actually an incredibly egalitarian and female affirming book in lots of in really, really great ways. And it just doesn't fall into some of the dumb um, oversteps of the, our modern moment either. Mm-hmm. So it's also corrective on, in the other direction. Yeah. But I, I think that's because like, I just don't want women to think like they hear this like, Oh my gosh, there must be all these passages. Right. And, and the answer is right. We've now yeah, covered no, all of them. Th- yeah. There's like four <laughs> in 1500 pages. Right. So, Right, and there's there's a bunch of passages of like women leading nations and women doing all kinds of like really big important things. That's I don't want to minimize any of that. We're that's just not what we're doing right now. So mm-hmm. the Bible is extraordinarily extraordinarily. In fact, there was a number of ways in which the Bible even teaches people to be careful about how men and women behave. In fact, part of First Timothy chapter two is how the church should behave publicly, so that your pagan neighbors don't have issues. Mm. And so even here, Paul is trying to constrict a little bit the behavior of the church to make sure that the, that the pagans don't flip out about how, how loose we are with women, how easy mm. like women can, women can do all these things and say all this stuff and talk to men. And this is crazy, you know, mm. 
So it's it's kind of an interesting. Well, when, from, you hear, when you hear people say that the bio, the New Testament is extremely, for its time, was an extremely woman affirming and liberating book. That's true. Whether or not it's still the case is what's what's being debated. There's no debate that historically it was an extremely liberating book for women and movement for women. The question is just, is it still now? Mm. So I guess the question is, in our current um, uh, American church system, um, is it okay for women to be pastors? And when I think of a pastor, biblically I think of somebody who shepherds and who like shepherds the flock. That's what a pastor is. Okay, so I think that according to that, I think it's fine for a woman to be to be a pastor to to be a shepherd. That's not a teacher. Like those are two different things. But in America, you have a pastor, and automatically that pastor is now a teacher because that's how we've made things. And so in America. Should women be pastors? That's the question that I have in my head. Should women be teaching up on stage in front of men? That's that's my well, question. And that gets into the question of the difference between elders and pastors in the American church, too. Right. Because this is the Bible is talking about one office, and we've we have two, and in our church, um, only two of our elders, I think. That's unless correct. I'm missing one, often preach and teach the congregation, even though there's like 13 of them. 13 pastors or elders? Elders. Elders. Yeah. So there's clearly elders that don't regularly teach right. the whole mm-hmm. body of Christ in the gathered worship service. Yes, but the only pastors, the only people who do regularly teach are elders and not just pastors. Right. So then what's the answer? I don't like, do we yes. have a, do we have an answer? So part for this of so, Okay. So there's a couple of things that people don't often know. First of all, um, the, what we call pastor that like that role isn't not in the Bible, but it's virtually not in the Bible. So there's only one mm-hmm. place in the whole yeah. new Testament that a noun form of the word for pastor is used, mm. which is really just, we, we say pastor, basically we just have not updated an old English word for shepherd. So the old English word was pastoralist. A pastoralist was a shepherd. Then we kept the word pastor for pastors and churches, but then we changed the word for shepherds to shepherd, right? Mm-hmm. And so it really is just a word for shepherd. The, the, the only place I know that really got this right was the old Firefly series, right? That they, were, they, they had a black guy who was the pastor so they could have some spirituality in the show. And so they, his, they called him shepherd. Mm-hmm. That's literally what pastor mm-hmm. means. It just means mm-hmm. shepherd. Mm-hmm. Right. So then there's, and then there's a couple places where the verb for shepherding is used. Mm-hmm. So you're shepherding people. And so for example, in, um, in, uh, acts 20, it says to the elders of Ephesus, shepherd the flock over which God has made you overseers. So the elders are supposed to shepherd or well, pastor in that sense, they're supposed to shepherd. So we've created this whole office, this thing we call a pastor, which is referred to once in Ephesians chapter four as though we know what it is, and as though we know what it does. What the New Testament actually has as leaders in the church is a plurality that is not one, but more than one, of what it calls elders or or overseers. Mm-hmm. That's an office, and the word elder and overseer is used interchangeably in the New Testament. So in the New Testament, a pastor is an overseer, is an elder, unless pastor is an itinerant role referred to in Ephesians 4. Neither of those are mentioned here, though. In, in 1 Timothy 2, the, the role of elder overseer isn't mentioned. However, the very next verse in chapter 3 starts a discussion of elders that is sustained throughout the rest of the book of 1 Timothy. And that's using he, it says he and him 
pronouns, right? That in that throughout that entire chapter, it's he, him, he, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you could make mm-hmm. an assumption that that's men and men only should be elders, right? That's not even an assumption. The husband of one wife. So what? Say that again. It also talks about them being the husband of one wife. Which would imply they're a man. Right. Okay. Is that in first Timothy though? The husband of one wife. That is that Titus. Oh yeah. It's in both. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's in both. (laughs) But but there's also a reference to the women, right? So you get through elders Mm -hmm. and there's a discussion of deacons and then it says the women which yeah. can, which in women is generic for either wife or woman. It could be either one. And so mm-hmm. some people believe that that means the women who are deacons. So the deaconesses should be like this. Or it could mean that the elders and deacons wives should both be women of character and they should they should be according to the character of that list. Um, that's just that's, that's about deacons. So it's not even technically relevant for the question of elder. So there are. Oh, shoot. I almost just knocked something over. So, so there are. um <laughs> There are churches that that I know and that everybody knows of that have women as elders. Where do they get that argument for for having women as elders? Because when I read through it, it's, it's really it doesn't seem like rocket science to me. I mean, when I read through it, it's just like he, this guy is a man. There, but churches yeah. are like we're gonna just well, forget I mean, that. And, and egalitarians would say that the male pronouns are inadvertent. Like, yeah, probably when Paul was describing this in his mind, he was picturing a man. But the fact that he said he doesn't doesn't eliminate the possibility of she unless he explicitly says so. Isn't that a stretch? That just seems like a stretch to sit, to try to think about what Paul was thinking. Well, but if I say, if I say, listen, let me describe what a CEO should be like. He should be like this. He should be like that. He should be like this. He should, this is how he should treat his wife. Right. You might recognize that in two, if I, you heard that in 2020, you'd be like, well, of course, Nick, if she could, we could have done the other way. He could have said she should be like this and she should treat her husband like that. Mm-hmm. It depends on what you assume I'm saying or not saying Right. Doesn't it depend more on how scripture was written? If, he, if somebody like when I think of scripture, Paul wrote it. Or God wrote it through Paul, which means that these are God's words and God doesn't mince words and he doesn't make mistakes. And so I think that God purposefully used certain words like he and him and says that this person, their wives or whatever, it, that it doesn't it feels like it's a it's a stretch to be like. Paul might have been thinking right. this at this time. That's right, just, but that uh, technically that's a fallacy of an excluded middle, right? You're saying there's this option, there's this option, there's no options in the middle. There could but, be. But what egalitarians would argue yeah. is is that the if like the, go to back to the CEO just right. Like if you and I understood that we live in an egalitarian world and I said he 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 he, you would presume I could have easily meant she and it was reversible. That's what we'd think in 2020. The mm-hmm. question is, would they have thought that in the first century where having a female elder might not have been as obvious, right? And so what egalitarians often do is they'll look at some of these passages like this one and they'll say, this passage is culturally conditioned. This is what Paul wanted Timothy to do in Ephesus when he wrote this. But then in Galatians, it says there's neither male nor female, but all are one in Christ. So Gen- so, so Galatians 3 states a absolutely like unequivocal universal statement that there's no longer male nor female, but all are one in Christ. And this one is talking about events happening in Ephesus. And he says, I do not permit a woman, right? So what Paul's saying is what he permits or doesn't permit. That sounds like judgment. So the, the discernment or the judgment Paul's doing for how to run the church in this particular time in Ephesus, I don't permit a woman to speak. He doesn't say really why. And so there it is. Complementarians would say, well, except, except that he does say why, and he roots it in creation and the fall in oh. Genesis 2 and 3, so it's actually not as open as that. So there's these yeah. arguments get deeper as you go. So yeah. then, Jill, mm-hmm. 
What do you think then? Do you, do you think that you being on this podcast is you teaching? And if so, do you think that that's wrong or is that right? I think Nick was starting to get there, but um, this all goes back to our the creation and the fall and what we were intended for and what we tend to do in our sinful nature and therefore what what structures God has put in place for us to be able to obey him and do what's best for us. Um, so, but as far as what that means now, as far as what that looks like now, I think it means the same thing, but as far as how that looks like now in a different culture and in the different roles we have and titles we have in the church, uh, I should say different titles we have, not different roles we have in the church. Um, that's really difficult to parse out. I don't think it's, I think it's not as difficult as we want it to be um, because we want it to be less clear cut um, so that we can do more maybe as women. But um, it does come down to the authority of men in God's household. And we have to, we are under that as women. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I agree. I think that women should not be elders of churches. I think it does get dicey when we talk about pastors um, but if that, if a past, if a woman is a pastor functioning as an elder, I, she's an elder. And then I don't think women are, are supposed to be elders biblically. Um, and I think that's because not just because God doesn't want us to do things just because I think it has purpose in how he's created us and how he's created the genders to work together in union. And there has to be leadership with someone otherwise, otherwise there, there is anarchy. Um, so I think teaching, though, like teaching is also a spiritual gift, as is prophecy. And so it depends on what you mean by teaching. Like I teach my children all the time and I teach in conversations when I'm mentoring someone or if someone needs advice. I think those are teaching. Don't you usually mentor women? Yeah. But like if my brother, for example, asked me for advice and it's a spiritual conversation, I think that the Holy Spirit is empowering that. So, and there the is a specific teach- there is specific precedent in the Book of Acts of like Priscilla and Aquila instructing mm-hmm. Apollos, right? And yeah, it, it doesn't seem like this is a command against conversational women right. teaching. Well, but I th- I think using that in its specific context. So there's some people who say, well, Priscilla and Aquila, nobody ever says who's talking, but but both are mentioned. She's always mentioned first when they're referred to. But like I wouldn't say, well, because Priscilla was part of talking to Apollos. Therefore, all women everywhere can do everything, even stuff mm-hmm. the Bible forbids. No, what I'm right. saying is that's an example mm-hmm. of a conversational example yeah. that is right. approved of. Right. So when women are involved in a conversational example, I think that that would fall under that. that yeah. So yeah. I, I mean, for the for clarity's sake, in this conversation about gender, we need to be really careful about the terms we're using mm-hmm. um, yeah. and what we mean in each context. So that's right. why I did ask that question about teaching. And what that is was, the rule and what is the exception? Because right. there's, a, there's a general rule laid down, and then the Bible actually creates a number of exceptions. So because when people go, well, what about this? What about this? Oftentimes, the Bible actually has, has anticipated a certain objection for, for a certain kind of situation that would be non-normal. So, for example, you could say, well, what if you have a church that's just started, and there just aren't any qualified men to be elders? Well, in situations of male abdication, right, that's what the whole narrative about Deborah is about that in the Old mm-hmm. Testament. That Barak was supposed to lead the people of God, and because he didn't, God raised up Deborah, and then he raised up a woman to actually kill Barak's enemy so that he didn't even get the pleasure of the kill. So Mm -hmm. women surpassed him in both ways, 
it particularly and specifically in order to humiliate the man who was supposed to have led. So in that case, mm-hmm. you can see that God blesses a woman leading in cases of male abdication until the men learn their lesson mm-hmm. and take the role that they're supposed to take. So in a couple of those also, different... Yeah, go ahead. That hopefully doesn't happen either, right. you know? Right. Yeah, Barak, I was gonna say, Barak should have led the people of God. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to say, like, yeah. so if the, if the pastor or if the leaders of a church were to come and, and they're in authority and they were to say, well, like, we want you to be an elder, then w- would you say no, Jill? Yeah, I would say no. Okay. Um, however, I have taught men in the church in a class before. And so I think that's where it comes down to the question of leadership and who is the leader over the over God's household. And in the moment that I was teaching, I don't think I was I think I was leading, but I don't think I was the leader. And so because it was a it was a class that ended, it wasn't I was that wasn't a role I was always fulfilling fulfilling. Um, so it does come down to these specific questions. And I did ask, I asked Nick about that because I wasn't sure <laughs> at some points yeah. if that was okay. Yeah. Jill, let, and so Jill, let me yeah. clarify like kind of the, my rule and then you can yeah. expand on it. So the way I put all this together, cause I actually believe, I believe what's called a canonical interpretation of scripture, that the different parts of scripture interpret each other. Mm-hmm. Even though scripture isn't one book, it's a library of books. I do believe that God superimposed his own um, an inspiration in all of scripture. And so in that sense, it's all God's word, even though it's mediated through these different human personalities. And so it interprets itself. That is the different parts of scripture interpret themselves. Yep. If you take all of these passages and you put them all together as best as I can, I can understand, right? This passage in first Timothy two in its context in first Timothy and related to the others is, is getting at the office of elder later in the book of Timothy. It's going to talk about elders who rule and teach here. It's teach and have authority the verse immediately after this talks about elders and so on. I think that what's being discussed here about women not talking in this context is the exact same thing that's actually happening in first Corinthians 14, which is an, in the operation of elders doing a role that is explicitly for elders. That is in this case, teaching in the gathered worship service, right? That in that case, a man is going to do that because what we're going to find out later here is, is that men are going to be elders and elders are going to do that role. Right. So at high point, one of the things I say, right. At high point, what I say is therefore what it all, what the only restriction in the entire Bible in relative to women teaching or leading is that elders are supposed to be men. So anything that is done in the church that is supposed to be done by an elder or that is a, the role of an elder, right. Women should not do it, nor should men who are not qualified to be elders. Mm. Right. There's Mm -hmm. a lot more qualifications to being an elder than being male. Right. Yeah. Now, what that, so what that means is that if we look at any role in the church and we say, do we have men doing this that aren't elders? If we believe that we can allow men who aren't elders, who haven't been vetted and gone through all those qualifications, all of that, to do it. So if, if John can do it, mm-hmm. then and we can invite any woman to do it. We should, right? Because it's, it's, we, if John's doing it, we, we don't believe it's the role of an elder to do it. Right. That a non-elder can do that. Right. And if a non-elder can do it, then men and women can equally do it. It's perfectly fine. Now, I think one of the re- things people will still squirm under is, well, you're st- what you're still saying is men have a monopoly on the role of elder, which is the highest level of authority in church. Yes. Give me, let me give two caveats. One that you'll like and one that you'll hate. Ooh. If you're a normal American person. Okay. The one that you'll <laughs> like is this. In every case, elders are supposed to be a plurality. It's not one guy. It's a plurality of people so that you don't have one person ruling ruthlessly because there's no higher authority other than reference for Christ. Right. And so that plurality of men is necessary, right? The second is this. 
and, and most women, modern women are not going to like this, but I think it's something that has to be reckoned with. And that is, mm -hmm. um, the most controversial part of this passage is actually not that he doesn't promote, permit a woman to speak or have authority, nor that he says a woman should be in quietness or silent. The most controversial section is when he says at the end of the passage, but women will be saved through childbearing. Mm. Okay. Yeah. What that, the heck does that right, mean? That is the kind of verse that somebody wants to like pour acid on the head of anybody willing to read it out loud. Right. <laughs> you're, you're screwed then. You just read it out loud. Yeah. So, so, okay. Here, I, again, this gets back to the issue of judging your life's philosophy, your, the way, what you think philosophically versus psychologically. Yeah. Are, do you start with right. what reality is or do you start with the way you think things ought to be if the world was just, right? The world is oh. not just, right? The world is not just, okay? The world is the way it is and you have to start with what's there and then work, right? So for example, in the Old Testament, there's all these commands that God overrules later mm -hmm. because when he brought the people out of slavery of Egypt, there are all these institutions and structures and beliefs and all this stuff they didn't have. They didn't have the law yet. They didn't know anything. And so he, for example, allows slavery to persist, mm -hmm. right? Why? Because there, there, isn't another there isn't another institution yet to take care of the poor, right? And so he develops it and he takes out a lot of the things where people do harms and whatever, but he allows it because there's no social security system. There's nothing for poor people other than the slavery system. That's all mm -hmm. there was in those days. So he regulates it. And then later when you get to the new Testament, he begins to lay the groundwork for it to be outlawed and ultimately for the church to turn from it, which of course it did. When it comes to women here, one of the things that we don't recognize is we talked about this at the very beginning. Why was the, what was the primary reason the woman is absolutely necessary in Genesis two? And the answer is because you cannot fill the earth mm -hmm. without a woman mm -hmm. and women. That is without women giving themselves to the absolutely just the enormous sacrifice of bearing children. The human race doesn't continue. God doesn't get what Malachi 2 calls godly offspring. In order to get godly offspring, you need godliness, but you need humans. Mm -hmm. And so women have to give themselves to giving their bodies over to another human being and bearing them out of their own body and holding them and nursing them and caring for them and all these kinds of things. And it is a role that only women can do. There is no other creature on planet Earth that can do this. You can't give this over to ducks. Like if women won't do it, there won't be humans. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? And so there is one role in all of creation that men cannot participate in. It's something they cannot do. And it's something only women can do. And men could say, listen, that is totally unfair. That is wrong and unfair that I don't get to bear a child out of my own body. I don't get to nurse and give life. To, like, like there's all, the, the, here's the thing. In 2020, it's really unpopular. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to go through the work and the degradation physically of having children or, or fewer people. And they see that as a kind of injustice that, well, men get to make more money because they don't have to take time off from work because they have children and all of this. It's not looked at as like an honorable right. thing, which it is. Right, right. Great see, in the Bible, it is the highest honor of womanhood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why women in the Bible are so hurt with infertility. Like women mm -hmm. in the Bible, infertility is such a thing for women because if you are infertile as a woman, you're like, I can't do this thing that I, is only mine. And yeah. dudes don't want to marry. They don't want to be like involved with those women, right? They, they don't want to marry. So, well, especially in the ancient world. Like, yeah. Especially in the ancient world where your children were also your future wealth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And your workers mm -hmm. in the present. But like, but to recognize though that there's some, there is something profoundly feminine about that. Most women that I know that experience infertility, most of them don't go, oh, that, I'm so relieved. Like there's part of women, even yeah. though most women, even though they don't want to have a bunch of kids, they want to have one or a couple or they mm -hmm. like there's something that they want to at least believe mm -hmm. they're even if they don't have kids, they want to believe they're fertile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's something like very visceral and deep in us. And I think that the apostle Paul does not mean here 
that if women have children, Jesus will forgive them of their sins and let them come into heaven. Right? Because everywhere else he, he is explicitly clear that salvation is by faith in Christ alone for yeah. men and women. Yeah. This has to mean something else. And I think what it means is women feel damned by being excluded from the role of elder. There's something about it where they feel like they've lost something. And he says, mm-hmm. but you will be saved through childbearing. What do you, and I think what he means by that is if you dignify being a mother as highly as you should, and you realize men can't do that, but you realize there's this one role that I've made men do and, and lead in. Hmm. Those two wash each other out hmm. relative to gender. And you're just going to have to accept that mm-hmm. or reject it. But I also think this is one of the reasons why my wife doesn't want to be on the elder board is because she's got kids and stuff. She's got stuff she's got to do because she's leading our four little crazies, you know? <laughs> and so I, so I think actually that you don't have the right, I don't think as a man or a woman in the modern day to judge this passage until you, A, you understand its context fully, but then B, until you have grappled with the fundamental and visceral nature of childbearing within the human race as a whole. Mm-hmm. And that it's not meant to be haphazard, but it is the means by which God receives godly offspring, where new everlasting beings are created unto mm-hmm. redemption. And the dignity of that is incalculable. Mm-hmm. And I think it's mm-hmm. just, th- I think it's thrown aside. And it would be like you and I, like I give you a big piece of gold and then we have a big pile of money and I have most of the money because you have the big piece of gold. You throw the gold in the garbage and you say, we're not equal because I just have a little bit of money and you have all that. Yeah. And the answer mm-hmm. is no way. If you would have kept the gold and figured it in, we would have been right on track with right. each other. Mm-hmm. And so when women throw away the gold and they say, well, this, I, I don't like this. I don't want to be paid this way. I don't want this to be my compensation. The answer is, well, I'm sorry. The reality is reality. This is the world in which we live. Men and men are men and women are women. Appropriation has to happen. It is the way it is. Throw away their leadership and just be lazy and 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 whatnot, right? Like, yeah. Well, oh yeah. There's lots of men who are like, well, I don't want to be an elder or a leader. Like, yeah, I, don't, right. I don't want that. Well, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That's the way it is. Because if you're going to marry a woman, and if she's going to embrace the fertility of your marriage mm-hmm. and participate in having children, there are a bunch of things you're going to have to do because she's going to take that role. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to lead and provide and deal with all kinds of stuff, and that's just part of it. And yeah. You like you can say it, that's unjust or God shouldn't have made it that way or biology is bad or something, but on one level you have to ex- accept that when you rage against reality because that's not the quote the way it should be. When we're talking about the basic layerings of reality, not not the injustices in the world, but like some of these basic realities, you are you but you believe you're God. I mean that's what you're saying. You're saying that. You would create the world differently. It would be better mm-hmm. and it would work. And you have no idea mm-hmm. that any of those three things are true yeah. in actuality. Yeah. 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 The reason this is so hard for modern women is because there's so many, there's just multiple layers of separation that we've put between the need to have children or the felt need to have children and the felt worth of having children mm-hmm. in our modern culture. And we've, and as women, we put our worth in different things that are important to our culture. Um, and yeah, that, that our fears are wrapped around our idols. And so hmm. if you're idolizing things that aren't, um, that are things like security, I mean, it can be scary. I mean, even just going back to divorce, for example, um, I, I don't know if women would tie their need for security in a job with this, but um, it marriages fail all the time. And so as a woman, you feel that a man is not going to for sure be there for you. And so 
you have to make that happen. And so it's really scary to think I might not be able to work. And what if I'm then staying at home and my husband leaves me and that's going to be a burden I can't handle. And so there's, there's so many layers that are, that are built into our cultural systems that we don't even recognize that have wrapped all these fears around childbearing for women. And, um, I've literally heard all those things, the purpose and necessity of it. I've literally heard those objections dozens of times by real women. I think in some ways, if you think of the modern man who doesn't want to get married because he doesn't want the ball and chain, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're like, well, you know, my wife's going to keep me from having fun and do the stuff I want. That's how, that's how these women feel about children. Mm-hmm. Children are the ultimate ball and chain. They're the real ball and chain. Mm-hmm. Like, because they don't give you back what an adult can give you back. Right. Right. And so like my wife having four children is the hardest thing she's ever done. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe being married to me would be up there, but like for the most part, <laughs> I think having like bearing four children out of your body, trying to raise all of them simultaneously Dealing with that, it's effect on her body, it's effect on our wealth, it's effect on her relationship with me. It's by far the hardest thing she or I have ever done, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then if you and, and if you add into that a bad marriage, if you add into that a bad parenting model where you yeah. stress yourself way out and you overspend on your kids and all kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of ways to make it way worse. And then when we have children, people, so like if you have a woman who's taught how to be successful and then she takes the same obsession by which she is successful at work and she applies that to raising children, that can lead to all kinds of obsessive ways of parenting that are very, very hard on women psychologically and can wear you out and make mm-hmm. it very thankless. And then you're afraid you're going to ruin your kids if you do anything wrong. And that it's just, mm-hmm. and then, and then women oftentimes feel like the, the dad isn't on the same plane as her because he's trying to like equip them for the future and she's trying to nurture them in the now. And then the husband and wife get crossways. They start fighting. The woman feels like she's got to protect her child from its own father. And there's so many ridiculously horrific dynamics that enter into these modern family relationships mm-hmm. that make raising children horrifically terrible. And often I think it leads to divorce. Mm-hmm. And then you get exactly what Jill was talking about where the woman feared that all along actually fulfilled the prophecy herself along with the man fulfilling the prophecy himself. Mm -hmm. And then she gets the very thing she feared. And then she's, I mean, imagine, I can't imagine how she feels. It's gotta be horrifically awful. And I, what I meant by, we don't even realize this is that we've wrapped all our fears in sophistication. And, um, Nick, I know you talk about how we've sophisticated things, our fears and anxieties, um, in your sermons, a lot, but that's true here where we, it just sounds like modern, it just sounds like the right way to parent. And it sounds like the smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I mean, I, I grew up in a family of divorce, but I never made those connections until recently. And so, and what it looked like, to, what it sounded like to me was my dad telling me, you have to make sure you major in a science field, in the science sciences so that you can get a job so that you can i don't know i didn't know why but just so i can get a job but basically i mean he know he knows so that, that you could support yourself I, and whatever kids you might have if you get right. abandoned but there's never that oh but you might get abandoned like right. added into the sophistication mm-hmm. of our of our thoughts in this yeah. way and so um and in parenting it's not it seems like we should have our kids in all the all the programs and all the We've overcomplicated it, but it sounds right to us because it's everywhere and it's what we're doing. And um, we've convinced ourselves that it's right. But it's just a, it's a blanket over our fears of not wanting to trust someone else in a relationship yeah. between the genders. Yeah. So uh, to get back to the original question about First Timothy chapter 2 then, it's if women see that as a huge part of their lives. 
right? Then that actually is a different set of expertise than leading the church in a way. Yeah. But but also there's And a you huge... can't easily do both. You can't right. do both of them well. Yeah. And and also like women gaining the expertise of raising a family and being a wife is a specific set of expertises that is best handed off and passed along to other women who are starting families and having children. I think that's why Titus says the older women should mm-hmm. teach younger women to love yeah, their husbands, right? right? Yes. That that whole section there I think is to say there's actually a huge ministry for women um both to to women and to children and the ministry of men frankly is going to be mostly to men. Like when I disciple people it's men yeah, except for in right, a professional right. capacity yeah. where mm-hmm. I disciple women the women on our staff team. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I was I was gonna bring some of that stuff up, but you just did. Um, yeah, what were you gonna? We're at an hour forty. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, and like we, we're just scratching the surface because like when right, I when right. I do this talk, it's usually about what like a hundred. It's about it's almost two hours, right? And it's yeah. because it's because if you go through it haphazardly, like there's all kinds of hanging remainders. Okay, right? do you have any resources then that we could put in the bot in the yeah, description? No I, I, no, I think Claire Smith's book. Um, What's it, what's the title of that? I can't think of the top of my head. Right. Um, God's good, God's good design. design, right? Yeah, God's good design, and then Kathy Keller's book, um, Jesus, Justice, and Gender Roles, I think it's called, mm-hmm. uh, is a really short read. It's like forty five pages. It's really quick, um, and then there's other stuff. But I, I, I have a few. Those are the two that I I encourage the uh, leadership cohort here to read. Yeah, I would recommend Radical Feminism or yeah. um, Radical Womanhood. Re- Womanhood. Nick, do you remember what it's called? Oh, womanhood. Thank you. Yeah, it's radical. Radical womanhood. Um, it's really helpful for modern women because it goes through the history of feminism and helps you understand why the things that you feel are so right are there. Mm. Um, yeah, and the author so, was a women's studies major before being a believer, right? Right. And so yeah. she then had to integrate all that stuff, and it's if it's a helpful synopsis, I think. It's really good. I would recommend that one. I would also recommend Let Me Be a Woman by Elizabeth Elliot mm-hmm. slash anything that Elizabeth Elliot has ever <laughs> written. <laughs> um, she's she's very good on the on the roles, in especially in the household. Um, yeah. And an, ext- I, an extremely empowered woman for her time, too. This is a woman who right. went with her husband to South America. He got killed. She's she then boss. went she back with her kids as a missionary so alone. Cool. Uh, yeah, she's and, just she's a super and the village boss. like converted like yeah. she believed the whole in God. To Christ. Didn't yeah. you yeah. put this in one of your sermons? I don't know. I don't know. I've heard. But yeah, that. no. Elizabeth Elliot is like a yeah. It's like she's yes. she's no shrinking violet. I mean, this is a woman who no. did amazingly powerful yeah. and leadership oriented things. So to to so if women are like, well, I don't want to hear from some like little mousy woman. Well, right. Elizabeth no. Elliot is a great option then. Mm-hmm. I, I read Let Me Just Let Me Be a Woman in college, and I thought it was very helpful as a man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no just in front of it. It just says, let me be a woman. But, yeah. Um, but that one's really good. Um, it's It will pierce your soul a little bit probably, but um, in good ways. Those are my suggestions. Yeah, we'll put those into the description. Oh, I thought of yeah. another one. Um, if you grew up in a broken family and your gender roles are probably all really confused and mm-hmm. how the relationship between men and women is supposed to look is going to be really confused. Um, so I would recommend the storm tossed family and it has a, a chapter on gender and has chap- a chapter on sexuality. And that book was really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. We'll, we'll write those all in. Mm-hmm. Um, any, any final, final words or anything like that? Uh, this is so much stuff. Like 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to be thinking about this for the next two days because mm-hmm. this is a lot of information. And like you said, I haven't even scratched the surface. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of good resources out there. Um, and we might talk about it again at some point on this podcast, but we're like almost two hours in. So we should yeah. Yeah, there, definitely wrap there up. Are, I think that there actually might be a couple episodes on this on the Engage and Quit podcast where I go through are, that yeah. stuff. So if you go over to the Engage and Quit podcast on a high point too, there are a couple episodes on egalitarianism and complementarianism. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say one final exhortation because women usually get angry about this, especially in modern, where we are today. So if you're, if you're getting angry, if you feel angry about it, open yourself to curiosity instead of anger and, and just explore what God has for you and how he created you. And don't just write it off because you're angry. And Jill, I don't know if you want me, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you want me to say this, but if you're if you're somebody and you're listening to this and you don't like it, you could probably reach out to to Jill, right? Yes. Yeah. Cool. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can so, put my email in the show notes. That's fine. We will do that. Cool. Yeah. So that's that's about it for today. Um, oh, make sure to subscribe and follow and give us a good rating and check out the Optive Music Podcast because that's really dope. And uh, don't don't get sick. Wash your hands. Do all that stuff. But thanks for thanks for listening, and we will see you guys in the next one. Also, thanks for coming on, Jill. Yeah, thank you. This is fun. Right. Peace out.